Where's your busy bee? This is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Today, we're doing part two of our series on creative barriers, barriers to creation, barriers to creative practices. This is the second episode on that, and today we're talking about being busy and what that means and how it affects our creative practice and some sweet, sweet tips on how to overcome those barriers. So busy is a, is a thing, right? It's something that uh, we, when we were doing research on this, I was surprised at how many times the introduction was, it used to be that when you asked someone how they were doing, they would say, fine. And now they say, oh, I'm so busy. And the more I thought about it, the more it seems to, in fact, be the case, right? Yes. There's, it's like a, this weird badge of honor type thing. and. Uh, We'll just get this out of the way. It's it's the, all the Puritans' fault. Yes, our fixation with the Puritans. Oh, <laughs> <continues>. <laughs> but it is. It, it's a. Uh, it's not uniquely an American thing, but it's definitely an American thing. The other thing that we talked about is like you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Like bad things happen if you're not busy. Um, and so it's interesting that thread that kind of goes through everything. Um, that yeah, it colors it colors how we approach life. Makes you important. That's right. Being busy makes you important. There's this false equivalency between being busy and being productive in the literally producing something. We used to, when I worked at a rafting company, it was like, oh yeah, you know, just like, just carry a clipboard and walk fast. (laughs) And, you know, someone would assume that you're busy or carry a box around all day. (laughs) And and it's funny because I, I came across a cartoon that was exactly that. It's like, oh yeah, just, yeah, if you want to see busy, just carry a carry a box around <laughs> a box. people assume that you're on your way to somewhere um, and so it's uh it's weird because there's a whole lot of like personal stuff wrapped in that too i think talking with people that i work with if they feel if they're not busy in any sense if they don't feel like they have something to do then they worry that they're being unproductive and that someone's going to judge them for not being busy i think even around the house absolutely yeah, I think about it on the weekends because during the week when I'm in the studio and and working, it feels legitimate somehow because I'm doing my work week. But on the weekend, for some reason, when we're both around the house, I feel guilty just kind of sitting around <laughs> reading a book because, you know, I should be contributing to the family somehow. Which and is <laughs> funny. You know, I was thinking too, like... That I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like I kind of work a nine to five that fills a big chunk of space. And I was thinking about you like, yeah, you know, you don't work a traditional nine to five. And then I was like, yeah, Ginger works like a six to ten. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not like, oh, you just sit and slave. But you do a lot of stuff around the house and you keep the home fires burning when I'm not part of that no. uh, during during my work day. But it's different, right? Like. Even though we talk about this a lot, and I consistently reassure you that I am not judging you, right. <laughs> you feel like you need to be earning your keep, yeah. as it were. Yeah. 
And so it, it does, it kind of robs the joy of leisure, basically. And, uh, you know, let's talk about that for a second. You know, in, in America, leisure is usually like, oh, I'm going out to the lake. I'm going to jet ski. I'm going riding a bike. I'm going to go garden. I, I'm doing something. I have to be doing something. And that's why I feel Busy like- Busy leisure. Well, right. Yeah. Well, you can't just, <laughs> just sit there. What the hell's wrong with you sitting there leisuring? But the ancient Greeks' idea of leisure- was that you would take a whole day, and it could be doing something like sports, but it would it could also be in intellectual pursuits of conversation, or you know just things that stimulate the mind. And it's just sort of fascinating. There, there's a whole history behind all of this, right? Where you have just the way our lives have changed over the centuries, you know, with uh, agriculture, with industrialization, with the pushback against the hard working conditions and industrialization. And, you know, we've settled at least at the time on, you know, these weekends and limited hour workdays for a lot of us. That's not everybody, of course. But again, that's a whole, whole different ball of wax. But it, it is interesting how we have these notions that they've changed over time. And now as a pushback after, well, I'd say, you know, 100, 150 years of industrialization on some form or another, People are looking for ways to increase leisure time in the classic sense where you have moments to reflect or think. Innovation and all that kind of stuff doesn't generally come out of working at it every day diligently on my, on my reports or my, you know, yeah. serving my clients or, or whatever it might be. And there's a book that, that we've read called Deep Work, and it kind of gets into how if you don't give yourself that time you're not going to be able to get into those zones where that kind of innovation or even just revelation, I would say, it doesn't even have to be necessarily where you're coming up with this amazing idea. Right. It could just be like a, a breakthrough for you. It's tapping into the well in yeah. any way. Yeah. And, and my favorite word, moodling, comes in right there Yeah, that Brenda Eulen talks about. And I feel like for me, that term resonated with me long ago, and, and she describes it as just that sort of non-productive, uh, yeah. m uh, how does she put it, puttering. I can't believe I've kept this quote on my wall <laughs> my whole art career, and I still get it wrong. <laughs> I have it up there today. Well, you know, the beauty of that is... The beauty of that is, is the fact that you know the, like the, co the concept. Is I know the feeling. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? The concept. And, uh, there's also the recharge aspect too, right? Like where if you're, I was thinking about you getting ready for your show, you know, and you're like, you focus on getting ready for the show. But it was interesting. You said that because you were getting ready for the, well, you, yeah. you say it because it's just awesome. <laughs> Tell him what you yeah. told me. <laughs> yeah. As I was getting ready for a, a big show last week, I felt justified. And I think that's the word. I yeah. think legitimate or justified was the word doing the just staring out the window kind of thing because I was very busy running around. <laughs> I was busy <laughs> taking care of other things. And so I earned my right. leisure. That's right. You can't, you can't just have leisure. You <laughs> no, have to earn it. Exactly. My God. Yeah. That's just but fascinating. It's, it is fascinating, and I, I highly recommend if you have a moment to go out and just search Google, look for like busy culture or uh, Americans busy, anything like that, and you'll find a bunch of articles. There's one article in the Atlantic that's just talking about, you know, we use it 
I think you've said it, you know, it's a badge of honor that like, well, I'm busy because you, you feel wanted, you feel important, you feel necessary. Right. And, right. and, and we like that, which is, I mean, I'm all for it, but just, you know, keep in mind that there are other ways to feel nece- to be necessary without having to toil. You know, we have our families that love us and want to be around us and engage with that isn't work. You know, we have friends. We have our own reasons to be necessary to ourselves yeah. as opposed to just being like, well, I'm this, well, I'm a drone and I'm just going to work and then I'll die. And Remember, you're a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> That's right. Ah, that old chestnut. <laughs> but it's true. It's just fascinating. We want people to perceive us as being busy or productive or useful or whatever it is. And then there's what we actually come away with at the end of a day of being busy. And, and some days, I think we all have them. Some days it's like, oh my gosh, I got so much done today. Like really actually got so much done today. And then there are other days where like, man, I, I feel like I've been spinning my wheels and I've got nothing to show for it. And some of that is internal, like where we create that for ourselves. And some of that is external where people voiced their need to be busy on you and therefore you have to do when busy work, right? It's, it's, it's that busy work. Hopefully I don't do that to you. Ginger, I need you to look up a uh, report right. from yeah. 1934. <laughs> um, get me somebody, anybody. <laughs> That's right. And get me someone while I'm waiting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, it's just, it's all around us. And the challenge is when you're trying to build a creative practice is that we feel like, well, I don't have enough time. That's, that's probably one of the biggest barriers, but it's also, we were, we were discussing this a little earlier about how it's also a mechanism to avoid creating. It's like, oh, I'm kind of afraid of getting in there. You know, the, the, the inner critics like just sidles up to you with its <laughs> cup of coffee. Hey, I see you're getting ready to create. Maybe you should, uh, you know, maybe clipping your toenails would be right. better use of your time. Yeah. And, and again, you'll find a lot of anecdotal evidence online. People will always talk about, oh, yeah, my house gets so clean. Yeah, whenever when I, <laughs> when I should be writing. <laughs> uh, I think there's a, there's a cartoon about that where like, oh, my gosh, uh, got a deadline coming up. And like the person is has just like vacuumed and done all the dishes <laughs> and every, you know, the house is sparkling. Um, yeah. And so there are all these external busy things. But then mm. as if that's not enough. Yes. What is uh, – we. We refer to Eric Meisel a good bit because he does, he just has some really good concepts and, and, uh, and good exercises to work through some of this stuff. But he talks about creating in the middle of things. Is that, that, and I think we talked about that before potentially, but this idea, you, not only do you have the, the middle of the physical outside world, but the, the middle of your brain, right. you know, cause your brain's always the monkey brain or whatever you want to call it the wheels start spinning and that's why we wind up clipping our toenails and we want, you know, our inner critics there. And there's all this internal busyness too. And, and the challenge is to figure out how to build a creative practice, not outside of that, but in spite of that, right? Like, okay, I know this is going on, but once you, A, get started, right? Take that first step and allow yourself to get into the flow state. Like all that stuff, of course, falls away. So you can be busy with taking out the trash and stuff like that. But you can also, like, if you're, if you're wed to the busy concept, you can say, well, I'm, I'm going to be busy at my creative practice. And so that inner busyness is all, the, all of our baggage, right? Our narratives about ourselves, um, our inner critic, um, other things that we're thinking about that we prioritize over our creative practice because we don't honor that practice. We don't give it the due it deserves. And there's a, a need 
there's a bona fide need to have that time to ourselves, that creative practice time, that that play, right? And, and so play has gotten a bad rap. Yeah. It touches on what you've talked about before uh, about, you know, oh, well, it's just art. It's just silly. Like, what am I contributing? I'm worried that people are going to think that. You found a, a kind of a cool quote about play. My old friend Heraclitus said, man is most nearly himself when he achieves the seriousness of a child at play. And I think, you know, one of my favorite books, that was my mom's book, and it's called The Everyday Work of Art. And, and now I'm not going to remember who wrote it, but we'll reference it, of course. And Yeah, um, I feel like we've talked about it before. You've brought it up before, but I don't think we've ever put it in the show notes. Oh, so okay. that's awesome. So yeah. that'll go in. And, you know, he talks about even the word silly. You know, people kind of associate play, silliness. You know, we're, we're completely allowed to do that as children and when we're playing with children. But as adults, we're supposed to avoid that. But apparently the... Uh, the origin of the word silly actually meant blessed, innocent. Cool. It, was, it had a very positive connotation. Yeah, it had like status. It had, yes, exactly. It was to be achieved. And now it has turned into its, you know, meaning dumb or useless. And that, it's really interesting because people would derive their achievement from interaction and growth, inner growth. And once commerce came into the, the scene for a lot of people, that became how they defined their growth and achievement. Right. And so it became a more of this external thing and more focused around money and so forth. And especially in the industrial age, you know, as that, as, and I'm not bashing it, I think it's just, a, it's just what happened. And that, again, that sort of hardworking American ethos about, well, you work hard and you make, look what I've made versus, Oh, look at that guy over there who made the, the shiny silver bean that hangs out in Chicago. What the hell? Right. What the hell good is that? <laughs> the beauty of that is that both things can be held up as right. you know, signals of achievement, and, and there's not a single way to do it. Anyway, I was just thinking about that transition where play and the leisure, the Greek concept of leisure, have just changed over time. And I do think some of that has to do with, with our country's view on things. and. It, and it does, as much as we make fun of it, it does go back to sort of that Protestant work ethic type thing where it's like, yeah, you work hard and then you get your rewards sometime later <laughs> when you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's, yeah, just fascinating, just fascinating stuff. And so as far as play goes, you know, how, I guess, how do you bring that into your life without feeling guilty, you know, and, and. Uh, you know, of course, in our way, it's like, well, we'll ske I'll schedule it. I'll put it on the schedule, which <laughs> probably is a great idea, right? We've talked yeah. about that before in terms of carving out time for yourself. But I, I, I don't want to get away from play just yet because there was another cool Oh, such a good quote, quote from one of you... our old favorites, Carl Jung. So do you want to read that quote? Yes. The creation of something new is not accomplished by the intellect, but by the play instinct acting from inner necessity. The creative mind plays with the objects it loves. It's true. And that, so that kind of goes back to all the, the why, right? People who innovate through iteration, they might be able to come up with something that is really cool by just sheer volume. Whereas if you are coming from a place of love, of something that you love, mm -hmm. it's probably a lot easier, not easier, but 
your chances of it be turning into something more are probably greater than if you're just like, well, all right, we got the idea farm. Here are 50 ideas. We're going to work through them and we're going to find something that sticks. And more meaning even internally more gratifying, more fulfilling, more meaningful to you because you love this thing. Yeah. And you're exploring it on a lot of different levels and not just a one and done. Right. Yeah. Like we've talked about, that won't sustain you for long. You know, I've been listening to some podcasts, like we talked about, we were working on money and, you know, inevitably all this stuff sort of cross pollinates, but, uh, this, this guy was talking, I think it was the guy who was part of creating Mint and also AppSumo and other, um, platform. And I won't pretend to understand the ins and outs of those, but he talks about, oh yeah, you know, uh, the, the host is like, well, didn't you create like a, a a startup one weekend? Like it was one weekend you worked through and you created the startup. But I'm guessing for this guy, just like the idea and, and getting it started are the thing that really excites him. The sustaining of something, maybe not so much or as much. Whereas the guy who was interviewing was the guy who started You Need a Budget, who's been uh-uh. doing it for 17 years and, and has just refined and honed this this basically budgeting software that started as a spreadsheet over that time. And, uh, but just two different approaches to, to that sort of thing, but that coming out of play or necessity, but it was important enough, like the, 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 you need a budget guy. It was important enough for him to figure that out, to have it work for him. And what greater stake is there than if, you know, something is meaningful to you. Exactly. And then it's, it's, I, I think it's a lot easier to sustain your interest in it over a long period of time because it's it's not just like buying a new car where it's like, oh, this is such a cool thing. I love it. I'm getting this huge dopamine drip. And then a year later, it's like, yeah, it's just my car. Yeah. From my own experience in painting, I, uh, I did a series of farm animals that ended up resonating with people. But the ones that really resonated with people were the goats and the chickens. And I happen to love goats and chickens. <laughs> That's true. So I had a real emotional connection to my friend's farm, you know, goats and chickens. And just, they made me laugh. I, you know, and so, but I had a lot of people say, you should paint cows because cows really oh, sell. Right, yeah. And I did paint a couple of cows and they sold right away. But I didn't, and I think cows are beautiful, but I never had the connection with them. I never wanted to spend a lot of time painting cows. Cows aren't overtly sassy like goats and chickens. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but right, there's like a, yeah, you love the personality of those animals, right? Yeah. Which, in, of course, I thought you captured them pretty awesomely. Well, thank you. Yes, but, but that is an example of the market was asking for something yeah. and I j- that wouldn't have sustained me. If I tried to do a series of cows, I didn't have the same connections. If you're working on a creative practice out there for a long time, or you've even mentioned it to somebody, like how many times are people like, oh, you should write blah, or oh, like Stephen King, like you could turn out a book a year, you know, whatever. Like everyone has an idea of what your creative practice should be and create. Yeah. Um, And one of the things in the writing world, if you're looking to get published, they say, don't try and chase the market, right? And the reason they say it in the publishing world is because by the time you get done what you're working on, the market will probably have completely changed. But there's also a little hidden favor they're doing for you in there is like, if you're trying to chase the market, unless that's your passion, you're not going to enjoy the creative process as much for your inner journey. And, and again, it won't sustain you like 
there are a lot of authors who started out writing. I think J.K. Rowling's probably really uh, a really good example of that, where you know she poured her heart and soul into the Harry Potter series and Magnificent series, a lot of fun to read. And then when she decided she wanted to write something different, she wound up publishing under a pen name. And of course, it was like roundly trashed by a lot of people who wanted more Harry Potter. You know, how dare you go out of your lane? You know, there's all that kind of stuff. And so it's, I, I realize I'm kind of veering off here, but it's just fascinating how, like for her, it's like, yeah, then you just should write whatever you want to write, mm-hmm. you know? And I know there's some authors who've done a really good job of not being pigeonholed into one particular genre or uh, one particular world. You know, I'm thinking, of course, science fiction and fantasy, but who've managed to kind of straddle a lot of lines and, and it makes for them, it seems like that's fulfilling for them because then they get to explore way more as opposed to like going like narrow and super deep or narrow and as deep as you can go before you're just banging against bedrock. You know? Yeah. And again, in, in my practice, the legitimacy side of me thought that I needed, you know, you learn from a marketing perspective, you should stick with one thing, right. do that really well, don't spread yourself out. And so for years, I even though I wanted to paint, you know, different things, I would say, well, I, I should just get really good at something. But it's just not the way I work. I like painting lots of different things, and I finally embraced that. Yeah. And that's really off topic, but... No, well, it, it's it kind of... Well, yeah, we've, we've gone down the <laughs> side oh, no. path into the thicket. <laughs> but but it, I don't know. I think this is really cool because one thing I would submit is that the thing that you might be willing to do for the rest of your life, you may just not have discovered. Like, it could still be right. out there. Yeah, that's true. You know, true. going back to narratives and things like that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, bringing it back to... What the hell were we talking about? Yeah. Play. Oh, no. yeah. Were we still talking about play? <laughs> well, we were. Uh, yeah, because we were talking about basically the things coming from the heart. And that quote that you read, the creative mind plays with the objects it loves... It was the crux of that little right. digression, and it's imp- it is important because there's a, a beautiful quote from the movie that we all love, Gladiator, <laughs> uh, where uh, Gladiator, that's what we'll call him, Maximus, Russell Crowe, <laughs> settle down. That was old. He doesn't look like that anymore. No. Uh, neither do we. Um, anyway, where Maximus asks his slave, and see, this is just perfect because... He's a slave. I can't remember his name, and so I feel awful. Oh. But he's like, you know, what do you do with your time? And he, he's like, well, I do, most of the time I do what you would have me do, and then on those times where you're not asking me to do something, I do what I want to do. I think of that, what I want to do time, we don't give ourselves enough of that. Right. You know, and so bringing back to this whole theme about, you know, well, I don't have time, I'm busy. There are things that we can do to create that time. You know, one of the things I think we may have even talked about before is like, you don't find time, you make it, right? Like if something's important enough to you, if you're feeling it in your heart, give yourself that time to fail, to do it badly, as Anne Lamott would say, but just give yourself that time. Because if you never give yourself that time, then you're not, your creative practice is probably dead in the water. You know, one thing I used to tell myself or ask myself when I first started waking up early to try and keep writing regularly it's like, oh man, you know, like how bad do you want it? And of course, at that time it was publication, but now it's like, how bad do you want it? Just that time to, to create. Yeah. But that helped me. That helped me get out of bed. It was like, yeah, I want, I, I want it bad enough that I'm going to drag my tired ass out of bed and 
We often sacrifice what we really want for what we want in the moment. Yeah, oh, 100%. And that's a perfect example. Getting out of bed, it's like, ah, I just want to sleep in. But in the long run, I want to honor my practice. Yeah. Ah. No, it's so true. I I didn't think of that in that light. I didn't um, either. Again, that all goes back to your why. You know, what can sustain you through thick and thin to create when things are in shambles at work or things aren't going the way you want to at home or you're tired or you're injured, you know? Again, if you have a strong why, that will trump those things. And that's not to say it will do it every day, but that'll sustain you over the long run. One of the things that we encourage you to do is through all this is look at your own views on being busy. You know, if this kind of goes back to that inner journey where if you try to develop a creative practice and you're willing to do introspective work, what you're going to find is that you're also secretly doing just regular life personal work at the same time, which is awesome, right? Like kind of trick yourself into doing introspective work in the yeah. service of your creative practice when in fact you also are helping yourself as a human being. So take a look at your own views about being busy and time and those sorts of things. I mean, that's that's really where it'll begin if you if you find yourself consistently sabotaging your creative practice and uh, getting into the studio or getting in front of the keyboard or whatever your your practice of choice is. And then also, you know, literally looking at your days, you know, one thing, if you feel like you're busy, this, this is interesting. I was thinking about like the money, like a money journal. Like if you're not sure where your money's going, they say, take a month, write down everything you spend, see where it goes. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was spending $80 on Snickers, which sounds really <laughs> good right now. But same thing with time. I highly recommend keeping a time journal. As someone who has to keep time for work, I, I hate I like just thinking about it makes me all tense up. <laughs> but the value in it is, well, there is, it's invaluable. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the value in it would be, it would be amazing. Like I'm kind of like, oh, I, I kind of want to do that because I think about times where I wander around the house and oh. sends like, I know I should be doing, here we go. I should be doing something. Exactly. And what I've been doing lately. <laughs> Carrying your boxes around. I, I do. I carry a box around so Ginger thinks I'm busy. <laughs> box and a clipboard. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go uh, take some inventory down in the basement. <laughs> so what I've been, what <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, coffee. Hold on. <laughs> One thing I've been doing lately, I've got I'm on a writing deadline at the moment. Um it's self-imposed to some degree, but I'm getting ready for a critique and I need to have this draft done by the end of next month. Which I'm getting a little anxious Again, I was about say <laughs> seizing up. But what I'll do, like inevitably when I'm at the computer and I get kind of stuck on a, a part, I'm, I'm editing right now. I'm going through a draft and I'm editing and revising, and which I love. But it's also, it's kind of hard work because I need to get into deep flow state to really kind of keep the pieces involved and all that stuff. But I'll find myself drifting out of that flow state and then I'll like be reaching for the, the internet tab, the Absolutely. brow, you know, like, and, and then I... I've been saying to myself, and it doesn't always work, but is that what you want to be doing with your time right now? Or do you really want to be working on this? And most times I'm like, yeah, I do. I really want to work on this. And I get back into it. And then I'm like, oh, another 30 minutes has gone by and I haven't really realized it. So physically looking at your schedule and trying to understand where your time goes. And I think like most of us, you'll find that you have gaps or you have time where you're I hate to bring up social media as the, the big boogeyman all the time, but it is, we, as we all know, or yeah. social media, TV, reading People magazine, like they're, they're pleasant, right? They're pleasant enough. Right. But when you go to bed at night 
and you kind of if you if you do a gratitude list at the end of the day, which I think I might start changing from the morning to the evening. Absolutely, yeah. That's because a great I think idea. that'll give you a better idea of what you've spent your time on as well. Like, okay, you know, I'm thankful that I was able to to write for an hour. I'm thankful that I was able to spend time talking to Ginger. That we were able to watch a show that we liked together, but only that show, not commercials and a bunch of news and all kinds of stuff that just doesn't really, at the end of the day, fill us up. Right. And I think that's it. Like you can spend your time however you want, but you can only spend it once. So I think reinforcing that is a, is a good thing for finding time to develop your creative practice or continue it. As a practical tip, yes. I put on my phone the icon for Instagram oh, yeah, yeah. on the third page. So I actually have to swipe past a lot of stuff. So I, it requires me to slow down for one second and think, do I want to tap on that right now because it could easily be 15 minutes to 45 minutes of my life in a flash. So how, how has uh, Instagram been at letting you know that you've spent more than... I definitely get notifications once in a while, but what? I know there are days when I've been on there for longer yeah. than half an hour. So there, that's good. I mean, we, we threw that out there as a possible thing you could do to help right. limit your time. And it turns out that maybe it's not so great. Maybe Instagram's <laughs> like, you know what? They don't need to know that today. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think that's awesome. Like anything just a that gives tiny you a barrier. Pause. Exactly. Yeah. And to I, get you to think, is this what I really want long term? Is yeah. this going to serve my long term goal? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think we're probably, a, we need to wrap this up for today, but there are a couple of things that we, as we were preparing for this episode, and we've mentioned this before, like deep work. Um, and there's actually a book called Deep Work. And, and some of the stuff is more geared toward business, but it's still relevant to a creative practice and the importance of it. But then there's a, the flip side of that we were talking to, that if you can steal time, if you have a 15 minutes where you don't know what to do, I think that's like a great time to, to Moodle, where you're just like, just thinking about your creative practice, uh, carry a little journal with you if you can, or take dictation into your phone, and hopefully people don't think you're talking to yourself. But just there are a lot of things that you can do with those little moments of time that don't have to be deep work to be effective for your creative practice. Right. I just invented that. No. Yes, we need to think of a name for that and patent that. Deep, shallow work. Uh, no, but I, well, I was, I was having trouble reconciling the two. Like, we're to, here we are telling people to steal time wherever they can, and then we're also saying it's important to have deep work. And so, like with most things, both can be true. It doesn't yeah. have to be either or. And so, that's another thing in your life. Everything doesn't have to be either or. You can work hard and be busy and have a creative practice. Yes. Thanks for joining us on this episode. We'll see you next time on The Creative Double Shot. See ya.